Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. This week we talk the tree of health and more specifically the layer of emotional energy or emotional well-being. And I know this is a topic that we keep going back to again and again and I cannot stress enough how important your emotional and your mental well-being is. Most of us focus on the physical diet, exercise, sleep. And yes, they are important, but it's no use having, you know, like the three energy pipes coming into our system uh, from the physical, but we are leaking energy out the back door from our emotional because, you know, you can eat unhealthy and have, you know, poor quality sleep and not exercise for many days, weeks, months even before it impacts your your well-being. But when it comes to your emotional energy, specifically uh, emotions such as anxiety and fear, they will wreck your energy levels. So I keep coming back to this topic because I believe that that is where the game of life is won and lost. And, you know, over the last nine months our emotions have been at an all-time high and fear has become injected into our everyday lives because of the pandemic because of the economic uncertainty and you know we already had economic uncertainty before this pandemic because of the the rise of the robots and the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning which is rendering a lot of humans um, you know, uh, extinct really when it comes to work. So it, it is a difficult time. And it's ironic because we have the most brilliant millennials coming through our education system who are so smart. And, um, you know, we're facing a world of uncertainty where they may not have jobs. You have people with multiple degrees, you know, serving coffee at a local cafe. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that it is potential unrealized. And that is a tragedy. So, on the topic of emotional well-being, I've invited Dr. Amy Silver onto the show to share her tips on how to manage our emotions, most importantly, how to manage fear. Amy is a psychologist, speaker, facilitator, and a leading expert in safety mindsets and how we create them for our own well-being. Her specific focus is about helping people feel safe uh, enough to be courageous in their connection to themselves and to others. She has a doctorate in clinical psychology, master's in forensic psychiatry, master's in performance, bachelor with honors in psychology, and further therapeutic training in cognitive therapies such as cognitive analytic therapy, compassion therapy, my personal favorite, acceptance and commitment therapy. And look, yes, she is pretty amazing. And she's based here in Australia, in Melbourne. She does have a, um, a British accent, but I can assure you she's an Australian now. She's also a published author with her second book, can't wait for this, due out in February 2021, called The Loudest Guest, How to Control Your Relationship with Fear. So please, please sit back and enjoy this incredibly insightful podcast with Dr. Amy Silver. Dr. Amy Silver, a very warm welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, I absolutely loved our podcast that we recorded back in April with yourself and Alessandra Edwards. It was an extremely popular podcast, 
because at the time you released a book called Brace for Impact and you released that book and made it free to everyone. And that book covered both the emotional and the physical aspects of dealing with not just the current pandemic, but this era that we're going into of the pandemic era. And uh, I was absolutely fascinated by the contribution you, you made to that. Uh, and I felt like we just touched the surface because there was so much more I wanted to talk about. And uh, our podcast went on for like an hour and 20 minutes and we could have talked for five hours. So I want to do a deeper dive into the emotional aspects uh, of what we talked about back in April because the pandemic is still uh, gripping us. Our emotions are going through a yo-yo effect at the moment. You know, if the news is great, suddenly we come out, we feel good, we're out for walks, we're out in cafes, and then there's another lockdown. And you, especially, you are based in um, Victoria at the moment. Mm -hmm. So before we kick it off, I just want to tell people that are listening or watching at the moment that this particular podcast is going to be about fear as an emotion and uh, Dr. Amy Silver's uh, upcoming book on that topic because I do feel that fear is uh, pervasive at the moment and most people that know our community will know that step two in the uh, circle of conscious living is taking action. Before you take action, you need to know what your goal is. Step one is focusing on your goals and dreams in all eight areas of life. And if you don't know what those eight areas of life are, please go to a higherbranch.com and have a look at our model, which shows what you should be focusing on in life. Uh, those eight areas fill eight fundamental human needs. But what stops us climbing higher in each one of those eight areas and taking action is fear. And we have the fear of the pandemic at the moment, but that fear is permeating throughout all aspects of our life. So I've invited Amy onto this podcast to share with us, uh, because Amy, you're an expert on this topic and you've spent, you know, uh, 30 years, no. lots of years and <laughs> so much intellectual property around uh, dealing with this. Uh, to use your analogy, fear has come to the party and is taking over right? We can't hear anything else. And yes, fear is a normal emotion. It serves us. But at the moment, it's drowning out our courage to take action. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to go through the six steps uh, with Amy, uh, which is an insight into her book uh, that's coming out in February 2021. But firstly, Amy, tell us what is it like living in Victoria at the moment where you have gone back into stage four lockdown? Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting time because actually I think a lot of Victorians are realising um, that it's not over and that there is this longitudinal piece to this pandemic that perhaps we had got under the false illusion that it was close to ending. And I, I, my sense is, is that's what everybody who's hitting a second wave is experiencing. I do a lot of work in New Zealand and I've recently been hearing that sort of talk from them this week as well. I think every time we have that um, increase in our 
security over ourselves, we get this panic of, of it not ending and the hopelessness kicks in. So just being super aware at the moment of um, what Victorians are dealing with and, and also sort of very conscious that that's what the whole world will be dealing with. Um, yeah, and I, I think it is a good time to be thinking about fear because we are all in this, this sort of very conscious space of being fearful of, um, of COVID. But I actually think that the whole world is going through this process of change at the moment where there are a lot of fears being exposed and uh, if you look at sort of just the political landscape um, in America um, the uh, Me Too campaigns the race relations campaigns there's a lot of stuff that's going on about how divided we are either from our own emotions or from each other and fear seems to be really clearly, to me anyway, because I have a lens of, of looking at fear, um, to me it seems like fear is really at the base of, of a lot of that. So I feel that actually we are in a, uh, I said this on the call last time, this sort of weird space in time where we get this opportunity to, to delve a little bit deeper because it's at a higher level of consciousness to us. We, we can't ignore it. It's something yes. that we're all being really faced with. So that to me is an opportunity that we delve a little bit deeper into it and understand it and gain skills in what to do about it. And I think that will help us not just with COVID and not just with the fears that are going to arise from our release from COVID, which there will be significant fears, I think, as we start to reintegrate into um, a more public living space again i think people's fears will really exacerbate um but not only will it help us with covid related fears but i think as well as a as an evolution of society i think i hope that this uh, opportunity to get closer to our fears will help us move forward on some of the other bigger problems of society that that to me seem to be centered around fear absolutely so as i mentioned fear is permeating uh, throughout all aspects of our life, and it's crippling our society, I, I fear, um, using the eight areas of life as my lens. So fear is impacting uh, our diets, yes. uh, our exercise, it's yes. impacting our relationships. People mm -hmm. are actually fearful of being intimate with their partners. Right. Uh, some couples, yeah. people are fearful to invest in their businesses, whether it's buying capital or employing staff. Mm -hmm. um, people are fearful to make new friends, to go out to restaurants, to, and that's that's a sad state of uh, living. We don't want to be in that state of fear. No. Uh, so I, I, that, that's actually something that I said in in um, in the book. It feels like we're frightened of dying, and we're frightened of living. It's sort of <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's quite a tricky space to sort of navigate within. You know, it's sort of. And, and I, I guess my whole life, I've been very, uh, or my whole professional life, I've been very focused on, uh, it, people don't seem to have a, an issue, as you say, with kind of f figuring out what their goals are, but there's this fear that stops them from being able to action it. You know, the fear of risk of failure or the fear of uh, rejection or the fear, you know, that actually staying the same has become a more interesting place to be to us than risking um, risking 
the opportunity that we could lose something or gain something or, or fail. So that's what I think kind of keeps people stuck. And even when we, even, you know, in, when I was doing therapy, I used to do um, psychotherapy. And even in those days, it was just incredible to me that people would choose to live in a consistently negative situation Yes. rather than go to something that could be more positive just because the word could was was in there um, and that people get very comfortable in their discomfort of, of, of their lives rather than taking the chance or the risk or the opportunity um, to, to go somewhere else. I give the but, analogy of like a, being on a, a mountain top, you know, and, you, and coming down the mountain it's yeah. snow you know and you're just going to go down the same path because it's easiest even if where you end up is not particularly where you want to be we've got this sort of yeah fear of doing the unknown absolutely and it's become the new normal for us so i liken it to where you suddenly when you're on holidays for example and you're you let your diet just slide and then you come back from holidays and your diet continues to slide and it becomes the new normal. And then suddenly you find yourself unhealthy and out of shape and out of breath. So fear has, uh, we've gone down that path uh, with fear. So how do we, how do we reverse it using your six step uh, model? Yeah. So the, the first, the first thing really that's part of this uh, process is understanding how fear gets in your way because most of the time what we do is we externalize the reasons that we're not moving forward so it's some somebody else's thing or it's um, too difficult because these other things are happening and um or i'm not like that it sort of it's very um external the reasons that we attach to things going badly Uh, and so the first step is to sort of question self and understand whether fear is getting in the way so what i i quite like to do is is try and help people understand what they want and whether there is any fear getting in the way of that um so almost sort of doing a a recognition piece around this question is how is fear interfering so you you you've said my analogy already is this this idea that we're carrying around all these different guests in our head and that fear can be super loud and it gets so loud and controlling that we don't even know that it's doing that. We, we, we think we are the fear. Yes. Um, so there's no distinction between the fear and our choice. And no, so that's an analogy you use because really we are the hosts we are the hosts. Yeah. And we need to identify those emotions as guests that invade the gardens of our minds, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think unless we can actually see how that voice is talking to us, that voice of fear, we think we are the fear, you know, but we aren't. We are this host. Um, and so being able to first of all, get a sort of a, a map of what your fear looks like, wh- where, where it shows up, what situations it comes in, um, and what the impact of it is. So for some people, it doesn't look like worry. It's not somebody sitting, you know, it's, it doesn't look like that. It looks like irritability or frustration mm. or um, 
or sort of blame. It can look it can look not like our image of fear. So fear is an image for most of us. You know, we see somebody kind of, you know, shaking and frightened. Mm. That might not be what it looks like for you. It, it's actually that moment where you go, this thing happened, and I just, you know, my adrenaline spiked. Um, and and if you think about it, fear as being that, you know, the classic sort of fight or flight or freeze moment. Yes rather than it being just about sort of sitting in a corner worrying it's not it's not doesn't always look like that so we're looking for those moments where our goals um don't seem possible or they they look too hard or there's resistance of some sort and we want to map out well what's getting in the way here what what does it look like what does my fear look like Uh, what are the symptoms the physical symptoms that i get here um what are the behavioral habits that i have as a consequence to this and what causes it for me so for example i was working with a team the other day and there was a um, one of the leaders was very quick to um, stop a conversation that was happening and to me i was i saw that as a threat he was threatened by the conversation continuing or he was threatened that it would get pulled off whatever it was that he wanted to talk about. And so it's that moment that I'm looking for um, that I can then say, you know, that was your fear voice going, they're going to think this, they're going to say this, I'm going to lose control of this. It's, it's, it's those sorts of um, things. So recognition is the first stage for me. Recognizing your fear, identifying. Recognizing your fear. Calling it out. Yeah. Calling it out. Um, and you become more and more skilled at this, I think. So uh, you know, it often uh, later, later when you are pretty skilled at it, you you notice that you're saying, "Oh, I don't like this." I'm I'm a I'm a person who, for example, if you are somebody that doesn't like uh, public speaking or you don't like speaking that much in meetings or you know you, you don't like you know that you that you may actually have assigned a, a personality trait to yeah. that, but it's not a personality trait. It's a very loud fear voice. Yes. So the more skilled you get, the more you can identify where fear is getting in your way. Um, so, yeah, the first stage is, is about recognizing, noticing the impact that it has on you, noticing the triggers, and really understanding how you avoid fear. Because that's what really, what fear is wanting us to do is to avoid moving forward. That's what it's shouting at us. Stay here. Don't move forward. You're risking this. They're going to think this. Don't do that because you're going to experience pain or uh, vulnerability. So stay here. That's what it's saying. And we want to tune into those voices. Yes. It's like in my analogy at a higher branch, it's uh, climbing higher. It's like staying on one branch and looking up and saying, I don't want to reach for that next branch of my life. You know, it's, I'm I'm happy where I am now, but it's really here. Fear of falling off fear of climbing to a branch that yields little fruit. And is it, when it comes to fear, um, I, I always say that it's when your fear is greater than your courage, you need to go back and revisit your why, yeah. your, your uh, motivations, your goals and dreams. If your, your fear is greater than your courage and that stifles action, then uh, maybe you don't have... Um, you know, goals and dreams that light you up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you, you have to have a clear why to move move beyond what fear is telling you to do. So if fear is telling you to stay here, um, 
knowing what the value is of, of pushing is, is really important. Um, I actually think that when we are fearful, like fear and courage aren't different to me. Like they aren't, uh, what do I, they're not mutually exclusive. So you could be yeah. really fearful and still be really courageous. And in fact, you, I love be, that. Yes. you need yes. to be, in order for you to be courageous, you have to be fearful. Right? Yes. So in, one of your, in one of your um, videos, which people can, it's an unlisted video, but people can uh, sign up to it on your website and get access to the videos. There was a, a video where you show the relationship between fear and courage. And in your worst state, the fear is totally eclipses courage. But then yeah. as you progress, you can slowly. Yeah, uh, you're just trying to. That's right. So high fear doesn't mean um, anything to do with what your action is. So there are things that I do um which are uh you know that, that, that would be very very difficult for me fear wise so fear is screaming at me loudly but i still move forward um so they're not necessarily one causes the other and that's part of one of the stages of the six stages is is to separate fear from your decision about what to do so a lot of people wait for fear to go away before they move forward. And in yeah. fact, it only moves for it only, it only goes back. Your fear only moves backwards as you move forward. So you, you have to understand how to live with the discomfort of fear while you're moving forward. Oh, wow. That's, that is super powerful because a lot of people are stuck with this notion that, I have to wait for the fee to go before I take action. <laughs> and, it, and it just, and, and all that happens is it actually increases because if, again, if you think of this analogy of it being a guest, every time we listen to our fear and yes. do what it tells us to do, which is to sit back, we feed it. Yes. Absolutely. And it pulls on some other lovely guests like self-criticism and, um, resentment and sadness it calls on these beautiful get other guests at the party to kind of get involved and go see I knew knew, knew she couldn't do it <laughs> and nobody wants those guests think of a party <laughs> nobody wants those Debbie Downers at the party right no offense to all the Debbies out there by the way <laughs> yeah and, and I, I think um, so the first stage is recognition the second stage is actually about self-compassion which is really about kind of going, you know what, these guests are coming. These guests are part of our lives. Yes. When we tell them, um, but when we don't have a relationship with them, when, when we just let them control us, we lose the capacity to be in charge of our own decisions because we are the host, not our voices, not our emotions. We are the host and we have to get this separation between our emotions and our actions because we are the ones that want to make the decisions about what our actions are based on our goals not on what the emotions tell us about it which is your yeah. which is your second stage it's sort of being super clear about your goals will help you build your relationship with the goals and not your emotions your emotions are here They've yeah. all got valuable things to say that they've got useful things. Yeah. Fear is an incredibly useful emotion. 
Uh, if we well, didn't have it, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So um, we must be able to talk to it and, and hear what it has to say, look for the message beneath what it's telling us. Um, but we don't necessarily want it to be in control. We want to choose, okay, fear, I'm going to listen to you right now. You're making a lot of sense. But sometimes that fear is just drama. Yes, yes. And we need to have that clarity to, to sort through what we're going to do with what fear is telling us. Absolutely. So to, for people who are listening or watching, to give it some examples, to give it some context, the next time if you're in a boardroom meeting and you don't speak up, even though you have a great idea or a contribution to make, that's fear. Fear stops you from speaking up or, you know, talking on stage or fear stops you from lacing up and going for a jog around the block because you fear, you know, getting injured or fear, um, you know, getting the yeah, so fear, virus. Yeah, and fear of telling someone that you are not drinking at the moment. You know, it's, it's things like that. It's sort of very micro things like I don't want to admit to somebody else in case they judge me or they're going yeah. to think this of me. So it's very micro often, these... Um, I love that you mentioned that because let's focus on some of these micro examples because that, that example you gave, I felt that on the weekend mm. um, because I was training the next morning and mm. the night before I was offered a lot of whiskey and I, I felt fear of rejection by saying I, I'm not going to drink that. <laughs> but I... The difference is, I guess, I identified, I noticed my fear because that's that's what you say. You got to name it to tame it. I think that's right. What yeah. You say. So I identified. I'm saying I'm being fearful here. But what are these other micro examples? Oh, I think it shows up everywhere. I think it's um, a really. Uh, I think that's the thing. The more you understand it as a pattern, the more you see it in different places. I think the, the, the fears that I see most are people not wanting to say no uh, yes. when they should say no. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where they take too much on. Or yeah, I'm guilty of that. But uh, yeah. this year I had some um, hypnotherapy around that with uh, Lynn McPherson and it was a game changer for me because I just don't care if I say no anymore. I used yes. to care. <laughs> And uh, uh, that's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful word that we learnt when we were very little. No, <laughs> well, it should be. It's quite right that it's the first first word that most kids learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we we don't do that very often. I think the other really fear inducing moment for us is disclosure of our feelings, um, and that could be in terms of intimacy with other people. Or it could be in terms of kind of, oh, that that just made me feel uncomfortable or that just brought up this memory for me or I'm nervous that I'm going to get let down here or I'm nervous that, you know, you're not going to treat this information as carefully as I would like you to. We're not very good at doing those sorts of things. So those are fears that we live with during the dialogue of whatever we're talking about. But you can see how distracting those fears are to us really being able to engage with our lives because it's this whole narrative that fear is drawing us into. Don't take that risk. Don't let that person see what you're really going through. Don't let that person see what your real goals are because they'll judge you. Don't let that person do this. You know, it's, it's very sort of this constant narrative um, 
that when we can start tuning into, we can see that's not me having that narrative. That's my fear telling me to have to, to then react to that and avoid the, the risks that, that fear sees. Now, again, fear may be having some really useful things that it's saying, but I want to know, I want to choose, not, not, I just don't want to be running on fear's narrative to, to keep quiet, don't speak up, don't show up, don't stand up, don't have an opinion, um, don't reveal your emotions, don't fall in love, don't, don't declare love, you know, all, they, all these messages that fear is saying to us that we, we don't need to be running with. There, there are people that are listening at the moment who obviously it's making sense to them intellectually, you know, cognitively, but the emotion of fear is so strong that we just can't think our way out of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so they might be saying, well, you know, it's easier said than done because fear is just so powerful. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, uh, the, the first step you mentioned is to identify that you yeah, are so, operating it. Yep. So, so recognition is the first step. Yeah. Self-compassion self is, is the next step where we really see this as an emotional context that we, that we have in our lives and it's here. It's here and we welcome it rather than fight it. So self-compassion and understanding where these emotions, as you say, if, if without fear, we die. So, you know, let's just be very compassionate to ourselves and our stories and, and the human experience. So recognition, yeah. self-compassion, separation, which is this idea of moving things apart. And as you say, this is all quite uh, metaphorical. Separate. Separation. Separation. Yeah, yeah, separating. And once we are separated, then we can move into this evaluation period where we can kind of go, okay, fear just told me that if I reveal my truth right now, I'm going to get judged and potentially, you know, um, out, outed or, it, yes. you know, I'm going to be rejected in some way. Um, is that true? Is the very first question we want to ask. Is it true? Or is fear using a story from the past or a, um, a memory of something that happened way long ago? Is this a different type of person that I'm talking to now than, than, the, than fear wants me to think of? Um, you know, can, is this true? Is what fear is telling me true? And the second probably more useful question is, is it useful? Is it useful that I think this? So we're, we're trying to move into this observer perspective where we're, able to analyze what fear is telling us and evaluate it so that we can choose what to do with it. So is it true? Is it useful? And how does this relate to um, any other sort of beliefs that I have about myself? So it can sort of take you quite deep, quite quickly, which is the whole personality piece um, is, you know, do you believe that you are, you know, very capable? Well, if you believe that you are very capable, then showing someone else that right now you're not feeling very capable would be very difficult. Yes. So often it gives us clues to sort of core beliefs that we're running with that, of course, are just beliefs, um, not necessarily the truth, but they may not feel, feel like that. And then when we are in a state of really being able to evaluate and then decide what we want to do, what do I want to do with all those, uh, the eight pillars of, of your model? What do I want to do? What is my decision? Well, then we need to move into, well, can we experiment with moving forward while I'm holding this fear? Like in what way could I move forward? Yes. 
Yes, and this is the critical. And this is the critical <laughs> bit. Yeah. And to me, these experiments, um, what we're trying to do, and where it, where it gets sort of ethereal and quite sort of difficult to locate is when we're just talking in general terms. If you talk about a specific fear that you have, it's much easier for you to get progress on this. So I would encourage you to think about a specific fear that you have found that's repeated. You'll have millions in it and, you know, that's because you're human. But if you can locate your attention towards a particular fear, we want to move into the experiment of tolerating the discomfort of moving forward while you're experiencing the fear. Because as you move forward, the fear will start to release its hold. So yeah. some of the things that we can do is set something called an experimental, uh, it's a behavioral experiment, where we take the ultimate fear and stick that at number 10. Yes. And we take where we are right now at number one. And we literally draw a line with 10 notches. And number 10 is, so for example, if you were somebody who was, um, uh, I, I, I'm just recalling somebody that I did a, um, an experiment with. He was very nervous about people watching him and looking at him and noticing him. And so number 10 to him was walking on to, um, into a public space and um, everybody's attention suddenly being on him. Right? That was absolutely unfathomable, unfathomable that he would be able to cope with that. He really thought he would not be able to cope with that. So that was number 10. And number one was where he was right now, which was um, able to go out, able to do things, but looking down, avoiding eye contact, um, being really pre-prepared with any sort of social interaction. So this is somebody that was quite extremely sort of um, affected by this. And it was a very yeah. clear hierarchy that we did, right? Well, what, if that's number 10, what does number nine look like? And what does number eight look like? And we created um, hypothetical scenarios to fill in the gaps between 10 and one. So it's and like stepping stones. Like stepping stones, yeah. yeah. And that became our strategy. And so we were starting at one. And the game always is, is that moving up one more notch is not so terrifying that you just can't cope with it. Yes, yes. But th there is a little bit of risk involved because the lesson here is not necessarily to get to 10, but to build this awareness that you can cope with the discomfort of your fear because your fear is coming anyway. Yes. The more you listen to it, the louder it gets. We've got to try to push beyond what it's telling us and keep moving forward. So that's our strategy then is moving to number one. And then you go to number two and number three and number four, and you go all the way up, uh, creating scenarios that push you towards discomfort. Now, the interesting thing with fear is that it's across lots of different areas. It could be a physical fear, you know, like I'm, I have not quite yet on my list put jumping out of a plane or, you know, those physical fears for me are actually quite low in my priority, but right. fear of um, disclosing my emotions or fear of um, public speaking on bigger and bigger stages, you know, I still have those fears and I still need to keep tracking, but you shift your attitude towards fear in one space, it will have an impact on the other. Yes, so, every, yes. so every time I do something that's actually more and more physical, even though I don't necessarily want to jump out of a plane, if I keep pushing forward on the hierarchy of, of my levels for physical fit, it has an impact for my courage in the area that I do care about, which is, you know, speaking on bigger stages. So it's a game. This is all a game. 
of trying to figure out how do I push past the discomfort of fear rather than allow fear to do what it wants to do, which is tell me to stop. Beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Very powerful stuff. And of course, in your book, you go into more detail as to how to use that experimentation phase. Yeah. Uh, and Yeah. On the fly, on the fly. <laughs> yes, you can, you can do it um, in all sorts of directions, in all sorts of different ways. And um, there's all sorts of tricks to help you master your discomfort in the moment because what your discomfort is, is, is exacerbated. The fear voice has a field day and starts going, you see, you see, pull back, pull back, retreat, retreat. <laughs> um, and you need to be able to calm your system with, um, with interventions that help you reset your system. Yes, absolutely. Now, before, uh, before we go on, I just want to mention your book is called The Loudest Guest, How to Control Your Relationship with Fear. And that's coming out in February 2021. Yeah, and I'm super excited. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a really easy to read book. It's, you know, my background is pretty um, extensive academically, but my intention is very much about making this easy to read, easy to use, very practical um, I feel very, very passionately that if we can master our fears, we'll be in a better place, not just our own individual goals, but us as a society. If we learn how to master fear, I think we will be in such a strong position as a, as a, as a society, as a race, as a human. Absolutely. And this particular topic, uh, management of our emotional well-being, is such an important aspect of uh, our high branch, uh, what we stand for. So please, please, when you uh, let us know when the book is out, um, if you can uh, let us know and we can um, uh, send the link to um, our followers as well. Because as I mentioned earlier, step two in the circle of conscious living is taking action with courage and love and fear gets in the way of that. And they, they, fear shouts a lot louder than courage and love sometimes. So we need those very practical uh, tips that I'm anticipating from your book, having spoken to you on uh, numerous occasions. Uh, sorry to digress if, if you all are listening um, to this um, amazing topic, but one of the questions that I have is that, um, about fear, why are we so afraid? Because one of the issues is fear stopping us from doing things. But the, the second more insidious issue is seeing fear, uh, you know, as an, an all-powerful enemy that just takes control of us. And we, we're afraid to feel fear. But I love your approach because it's, it's recognizing the fear, it's feeling the fear and uh, still taking action, notwithstanding fear having the courage to push fear aside yeah so why are we so afraid of it like why why we built that way is it is it uh is it something that's learned behavior is is it conditioning or is it that's in our dna is it genetic it's absolutely about the way that we are built um we are as a a beautiful um uh, professor that i whose work i whose work i love paul gilbert um, and he wrote a book um, called The Com- uh, Compassionate Mind. Um, and in that, he talks about the brain being like a bad renovation over evolution so that we start off with this core area of our brain and then different bits have come in as the millions of years have gone on. But we're still built with this core 
kind of renovation. So like with a house, you know, to get that point where you, you kind of need to knock it down and start again rather than just building on extra rooms. But unfortunately, <laughs> we can't do that with us. Uh, we've got to live with what we were created through. And that's, you know, billions of years of, of evolution. And yeah, we are built for fear seeking. That is our primary goal. Um, and most organisms goal is about the avoidance of death and, uh, you know, and about being able to procreate and about being able to, to save ourselves um, from extinction. So uh, that is why we are so strongly operated on a fear lens. And, and I think that's exactly what you said before. We, we need to move to a position where we know that and we're okay with that. And we're skilled enough to know what to do about it. Yes. Because we cannot change it. Yes. Yep. Um, it is here to stay. It is part of who we are. We're very thankful to it for being there. It, is, it has led to some amazing things, but we must learn how to control it. Right. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. What is the biggest fear facing humanity at the moment? What is the, the most pervasive fear that's plaguing people? I don't know what it is for people in general. I think it's it's all very threat-based. And I think right now there's so much um, division between people um, and division between ourselves and our higher conscious, you know. Uh, I think there's so much to set up in our world to split us off from both each other and from our true calling. And so I feel that, uh, the way that society is sort of now is we're at this really precarious position in time where if we don't notice that um, we'll lose the capacity to really pull, pull back into ourselves and understand what to do about this fear. Cause it's become, we've become so avoidant of looking inwards and I say we, you know, not, not, I'm sure not people that were listening now, but you know, society has become so avoidant of looking inwards and so avoidant of finding um, ways to, to connect with others. Um, everything that's kind of going on in the world points to the fact that, that avoidance has become um, really a numbing agent for us rather yeah. than. I'm glad you called that out because that's what I've, what I've noticed, what's worse than being crippled by fear is actually being numb where, uh, to fear. And that's something that uh, is concerning because I'm seeing that more and more now. People are just saying they're just switching off to their emotions completely because they just can't deal with it. Yeah, and I think it's, you see it in children and younger adults quite a lot. This, um, you know, and thankfully, I think the education system is putting a little bit more in about emotional well-being, but it's still not really being taught enough at school for people to really understand. You know, there's a lot of dismissive actions about emotions. You know, you're crying, pull yourself together. You know, this kind of attitude of move on, you know, just move on from your feelings, go and eat this instead, go and do this activity instead or push that to the back focus on this instead and and it's all this very sort of insidious messages that we are not entitled to have our feelings we're not um, expected to have feelings we're not supposed to use our feelings um, as guides or we're supposed to let our feelings take control there's a lot of misinformation and yeah i think in children and younger adults in particular we're seeing a lot of the 
pressures and the, the stresses that they're experiencing yes. um, is because they have not had time or space in, in our current environment that allows them to, to gain maturity with their emotions because we save them from their emotions all the time. So they are saved from feeling bad um, because we've constructed this world that, you know, wants to protect them. But then when they have an example in their life of a trigger and it is really bad, they don't know how to handle it because they've been protected so much. Well, I'm guilty of that. I want to protect you know, my children, especially my daughter who's now almost 17 and I'm always forever trying to protect her from getting hurt. And um, I'm realizing more and more that it's not the right thing. <laughs> no, well, Eckhart Tolle says, um, you know, there is a maturity obviously that has to happen, but that there is a, a, a correlation between suffering and ability to manage your emotions, you know, and if you have not experienced suffering, it's actually very difficult then when you do, because life is full of suffering when you do that, you, you don't know what to do with that. So um, yeah, for the, from a psychology point of view, I think it's really important with our children to show the whole range of emotions that we all have. Um, and I think it's really important to however hard it is for us. And that's our own management of our own emotions. We need to <laughs> yes. sit with our children while they're going through these difficult emotions rather than trying to fix it for them. Yes. Now, I don't want to get political, and but I, I just want to give it some political context. A lot of people in the last couple of days leading up to this podcast, I asked a few questions about the topic of fear. And a lot of people are saying, well, they feel like they uh, their emotions, they become puppets to uh, what the government and yes. the news media yes. is making them feel. And a lot of the people who are protesting don't want to wear their masks. Yes. Are doing it not because they want to, you know, uh, uh, be rule breakers. They just want to feel a sense of freedom uh, to break yes. free from that fear. Yes. So I just want your um, professional uh, opinion on this so we can feel a little bit of empathy towards those who are, you know, uh, are protesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I think it is, if you think of it within a fear context, it is their fear um, of freedom and their fears of identity, um, their fears of control. So again, it's sort of, you know, if we had sort of full control, we would want to have a conversation about um, those fears rather than the behaviours that they're choosing to, um, to have as a, as a sort of a consequence. They've kind of jumped through quite a few uh, yes. actions and gone straight to something that's actually damaging for them and for others. So, which is absolutely, I'm sure not part of their intention, but the unresolved or the unthought about or the unrecognized fear reaction is the, is the bit that we want to have a conversation with. Um, and, and I think it's, it's unfortunate because what happens is there's a whole other, lots of other voices get involved and it gets into a, a quite a tricky tricky spot with with the news media and the news control um I, I think that's again a very common fear that we all have that we are going to be taken over by the most dominant news uh, voices or you know we are going to be uh, given all this information and we'll we have a, live in a very biased world and i think again it's about 
first of all, recognizing that that could be true, that could be a reality, and then also understanding, well, what do we want to do about that? You know, um, and, you know, on a very basic level, it's making sure that you're making choices about TV consumption or news consumption, or you're directing your attention to a really broad range of inputs. So you, you may have to deliberately go and seek some of those things out. They may not land in your living room because it's not on channel seven, but you deliberately go and seek that out. So you go and consume alternative perspectives, um, alternative pod, your podcast, your, you know, that, those sorts of information that's talking about positive worlds and hope and optimism and all of those things, which will just balance it out. So you don't have to believe anything that you listen to or anything that you read. You, you, you need to make your decision based on, um, on your evaluation. But uh, I think that there is a lot of fear right now. Uh, and where we don't want to get to is turning that fear into anger and resentment and frustration, because that's a whole new host of us and them and right and wrong. And, you know, and, and again, just to quote Eckhart Tolle again, um, you know, those sort of that sort of anger, that sort of fighting, it's just not it, it doesn't help. It, it, you know, if it did, we wouldn't be in this mess. So we need to approach it with a different sense, a sense of love, compassion, um, hope, um, optimism and, and care. Beautiful. Are there differences in fear between males and females? What are the like top of mind fears for men as opposed to women? Is there a difference? I think there, I think it's interesting because I think that there isn't, but I think that there are, more role dominant ones so it would probably be role dependent rather than gender dependent but we are gender the you know, male and female are living in very different worlds we you know we we coexist but the the back the setting is not the same does that make sense so the core beliefs that we've all carried around with us the experiences that we're all facing um, are very different. So for a woman, the the traditional things that people, women worry about is, is danger, physical danger, and being outcast from a society, because we don't do what, what society tells us is the right thing to do. Um, so fears about physical safety and fears about being um, outcasted. For men, it's more about the fear of being relevant and valued and status um and so you know you put those things in a work context yes. quite often for a woman the, the um the thoughts may be about not not being seen enough or not wanting to you know put themselves forward um because the risks are greater for women yes because the, because the, the career uh decisions are, are not as uh, clear-cut for men, it would be all about showing vulnerability and weakness would be a, a real fear. So you can see that, that, you know, within our little microcosms, that, that makes a, for a nice little um, play, role plays. Yes. Um, so I, but I, I, I think that there are, we are living in very different worlds, even though we're treading the same earth. I haven't asked this question before to anyone, but I feel compelled to ask you this question because it's a little personal, but uh, what, what motivates you to be uh, like you have such an amazing uh, history. You've, I mean, you're a psychologist, but you've yeah. also done forensic psychiatry as well yeah. and a whole host of other things. You have numerous publications. Um, you have the Silver Linings blog, which I absolutely love. 
what what motivates you to wake up every morning and um, and write about this stuff and talk about it and appear on podcasts? I have an absolute addiction to chasing my fears. Like I I really believe strongly. This doesn't mean that I'm in an any better spot than you know a million other people, but I. Um, because you can't compare fears. That's something that I haven't said. You know, you, you could be frightened of something that I wouldn't be and I would be frightened of something that you wouldn't be. So it, we can't compare. But the experience of fear to me, as soon as I see a fear that I have, I want to beat it because I do not want to be controlled by fear. So I have a real um, hunger to move beyond my fear. And the funny thing about fear is, is that you, as you, as you move forward, um, you know, fear will try to change direction a little bit and try and catch you somewhere else. So it's always trying to get in front of you, this fear and trying to block you. And I just think what an incredible life you could live if you took fear as a guide of things that you could do differently and that you could chase rather than something to be frightened of. So wow. that it's my guide for creating a bigger more useful um, existence if I see where fear is and I head for it. Wow, that is so, so powerful. I, I really love that motivation. Uh, that's awesome. And that's obviously what drives your thought leadership in this space. And it's also what's driven your six-step model for uh, dealing with fear in, in your latest book. So yeah, I, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a, I, I don't know, you know, whether this is, um, I, I, I feel like life is here to be experienced. You know, it's an, it's an opportunity that we have that who knows whether we get it again, hopefully we do. Um, but you know, we are, we are here to experience life and that means that we need to move beyond our fears. It, it, it must mean that otherwise we've done our experiencing. Absolutely, because fear is what's, what stops us from living That's right. life. I, I find that people are eternally optimistic because they live like they're going to live for a thousand years. I know people that keep saying, oh, no, no, one day I'll get around to that. And then suddenly yeah. they're, you know, 60 or 65 and they've lived within their fears and they've run out of time. Is that a phenomenon of some sort? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wanted, It's in the book I talk about this beautiful metaphor that I really love the definition of hell is when you die you meet the version of yourself that you could have been ah yes yes and i think <laughs> uh, i don't want to do that i want to go and die and meet the person that i am that i the life that i was able to um, choose for myself given um the choices that i could make wow i absolutely love that that's yeah <laughs> I'm visualizing it now. You know, I wish we could flip this podcast and what you just said in the last five minutes, put it right at the beginning. So I hope <laughs> people have actually listened to this this far and heard that just piece of wisdom that you mentioned about it's a tragedy for you to be living your life within your fears and within your bubble of fears. Uh, so that's really, really powerful. Amy, that's, that's a beautiful way for us to finish. Thank you for listening and uh, hope to be inviting Dr. Amy Silver back on this podcast. We will uh, put a few links in the description and um, 
We will also let you know when her new book is uh, coming out. Now, will you be doing audio version of that book or just the written? I have no idea. Um, I look forward to chasing that down. I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, Amy, it's been such a real pleasure. And hopefully we can do this in person one day once these. That'd be nice. Really nice. Uh, and I really look forward to attending your retreat next year as well that you're holding with Alessandra Edwards. Uh, that's a three-day retreat. You talked about that offline, but uh, I think that it'll be a lot of fun and a lot of learning. So yeah, really look great. forward to that. But hopefully we'll talk well before then. Lovely. Thanks for having me, Sam. That's a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time